when I was a kid, one of my favorite movies was Rain Man. Anybody familiar with the movie? It was a documentary. One of the main actors was Dustin Hoffman, and he played this severely autistic man. And it was an amazing story of how highly functional he was, even, even in spite of his severe mental handicap. But what I remember about the movie Rain Man is that the guy's name was Raymond. He had this Walkman TV that he carried around with him everywhere. And if y'all have any experience with autistic people, they have a tendency to obsess over certain things. Well, he was obsessive over that Walkman TV. He had to have it everywhere that he went so that he could watch his shows when they came on, specifically Jeopardy. So everywhere that he went, he wanted to have that Walkman TV with him. But I'll tell you what, I'm so glad that God made us Walkman worshipers. I can take worship with me everywhere that I go. I don't have to be in this place to worship. I can be in my car and worship. I can be walking through campus and worship. I can be on the mountaintop and I can worship. I can be in the valley and I can worship just as well there also. I'm so thankful that God turned us into Walkman worshipers. We can take worship with us everywhere that we go. So I just wanted to encourage y'all with that as we get started tonight. You don't have to be in this place to sing songs of worship to an almighty Savior that set your soul free, I encourage you to be Walkman worshipers. Everywhere that you go, lift your praise unto God Almighty. John chapter 3, I want to share a passage with you that comes from that tonight as we enter into the fourth installment of our Convos with Christ series that we've been in. And in this particular narrative that we encounter tonight, it's probably one of the most famous, if not the most famous, conversation that we see Jesus have throughout the entirety of Scripture where he encounters an inquisitive Jewish teacher named Nicodemus. So I want to go ahead and get right into the text tonight. John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Jump along on the ride with me as we see this conversation Jesus has with this man named Nicodemus. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. 
But whoever does what is true comes to light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Lately, I've gotten into listening to TED Talks. Are you familiar? Y'all know what a TED Talk is? We got any TED Talk listeners in here tonight? No shame. I've gotten into listening to TED Talks here lately. So just in case you're not familiar uh, with what those are, in 1984, there was a conference that was held where ideas and info on technology, T, entertainment, E, and design, D, all converged together on the same platform. And that mainly became known as what we know as the organization of TED, T-E-D. Their main mission statement is actually listed as this. TED is a global community welcoming people from every discipline and culture who seek a deeper understanding of the world. We believe in the power of ideas to change attitudes, lives, and ultimately the world. So as an organization, they're devoted to spreading ideas, usually in the form of what they call TED Talks, short, powerful, what they would consider to be 18 minutes or less, talks that they give on all kinds of different ideas all across the spectrum on all kinds of things. It's no longer just limited to technology, entertainment, or design. They cover topics on all ends of the spectrum. And so these TED Talks are given by some of the brightest, most creative, intuitive thinkers on the planet. And i got to be honest with you guys, as I've listened to some of them, they're quite intriguing. A lot of them are quite compelling, and they're super engaging. These people that deliver these talks have a giftedness with communication, getting their point across, passing on information. Well, having said all that, I want to give you the title of our message tonight right here, which is called A TED Talk with Jesus. A TED Talk with Jesus. It was common during Bible times for people to sit on the roof in the late afternoon after the sun went down, kind of like we sit on our porch now, especially in the south, after the sun goes down, because who can stand to be out there while the sun is up? Thank God, by the way, for cooler weather blowing in this week. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I promise you, I'm not one person that wants to go to hell, because I can't stand any form of heat. Thank God it's cooling off outside. But they would sit on their roofs in the Bible times and enjoy the evening breeze and spend some time unwinding during their day and... So we have Jesus sitting on the roof, or at least scholars think that's what he was doing. When Nicodemus shows up and begins to engage him in this conversation. So who is Nicodemus? Nicodemus is he's a Pharisee. He's a religious leader. He's a Jew. He is well-respected. He is well-known as a Bible scholar. He was one of the brightest minds of his time. And he's having a conversation with Jesus. He's seen the things Jesus has done. He's seen the miracles. He's seen the healings. He's seen the feedings. He's seen the raisings of the dead. He's heard the things that Jesus has been teaching. Because how can you be a well-respected teacher but not also be aware of the fact that this guy's teaching some pretty amazing stuff himself? So he's heard of Jesus' teaching. He might have even sat underneath some of Jesus' teaching. And he's seen the authority with which he teaches with. And he's doing his best to understand exactly what in the world has been going on. Because there's a lot of circulation, there's a lot of talk around this Jesus character and who he is. And words getting out that this could possibly be the Messiah, this is the Son of God, this is the Christ, this is the Savior of Israel and the world. And so he's trying to understand all stuff. But as he's hearing all these things, he's like, but this is not what I expect Jesus to look like. This is not what I expected Jesus to be doing as God of creation, as sustainer of the world, as Savior of all mankind, and so he's doing his best to understand exactly what's going on, but he can't. So he decides just to go ask Jesus up front. It's never a bad idea if you're struggling with the things of God to just go consult God about those things. 
And so he goes and pays Jesus a visit, and Jesus proceeds to have what I see as his own version of a TED Talk with Nicodemus. Let's go back into the conversation for a moment. In verse 2, Nicodemus begins the dialogue when he says, Rabbi, or teacher, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So he came to Jesus by night. Aren't you thankful that there's never a time where Jesus is unapproachable? He comes to Jesus by night and he's like, I'm confused with some things. Rabbi, it's, it's obvious these signs that you're doing, nobody could do them unless the hand of God was upon him. And in verse 3, Jesus gives a response and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So as Jesus responds, the first thing I want you to notice tonight is that he shows Nicodemus how a life experiences transformation. As their conversation begins, as the dialogue begins to work back and forth, Jesus says something to Nicodemus that shows him how a life experiences transformation. He tells him, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. When Nicodemus started the conversation, he pointed out the signs that Jesus had done. So no doubt Nicodemus had encountered and even seen with his own eyes some of these signs, some of these miracles that Jesus had performed. But listen, Jesus makes it clear that the seeing of signs of God doesn't translate into seeing the kingdom of God. Witnessing miracles, seeing signs and wonders does not bring salvation to a lost soul. I've encountered people throughout the years that I've had conversations with that say, well, maybe if Jesus was still on the earth today and I could see some of the things that he did, I could see him perform a miracle, I could see him bring somebody back to life, maybe then I would put my faith and trust in him. Well, no, you wouldn't because there were scores of people that were there when Jesus was doing it then, and they didn't believe in him then either. We would be no different. Signs, miracles, and wonders, they only point to a greater thing. They're not the thing. And they're never sufficient to bring salvation to a lost soul. For that, Jesus makes it clear, you must be born again. Which seems like a rather absurd statement. Agreed? You're going to look at me all spiritual? All, I'm, I'm all churchy, like I got the answers. I know that Jesus isn't talking about physical birth. You would find it an odd statement if you sat and have a conversation with Jesus and said, hey, you got, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you'll be born again. Nicodemus thought it was odd. How can a man be born again when he's old? Can, I, can he climb back into his mother's womb and be born a second time? Can't you see Nicodemus as he's listening to Jesus say that Jesus says, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you've got to be born again. Nicodemus is like, Mom? Bad news. <laughs> I know you thought it was probably bad coming out, but apparently I'm going to have to get back in there. we got to do it again. I, I mean, imagine like, imagine the thought how crazy it is of my wife in the back holding our baby boy who is asleep. Obviously, he's very intrigued by his father's teachings. Imagine me, me saying, hey, Graham, I want you to see the kingdom of God, so Ashley, you're going to have to make a sacrifice. Uh, take a deep breath. On the count of three, we're going for it. Nicodemus <laughs> is confused. He's like... Born again. All right. How can that happen? How is that going to take place? But like we saw with the woman at the well last week, Jesus isn't talking about a physical birth. He's talking about something 
He's talking about something spiritual, and he explains that in verse 5, which we'll get to here in a moment. There must be a spiritual rebirth. Listen, the Bible makes it clear. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of our sin is death. But when we confess our sins and surrender in faith to Jesus, He saves us and we are then born again. That's how a life experiences true transformation. When we are born again in Christ, we move from unrighteous to righteous. We move from unholy to holy. We move from fatherless to adopted sons and daughters. We move from having nothing to gaining an inheritance. We move from walking in darkness to living in light. We move from being dead in sin to life abundant. We move from being enemies of the cross to friends of God. We move from being lost to being found. We move from being condemned to being pardoned. We move from being broken to being whole. Jesus transforms how you think. He transforms how you talk. He transforms how you act. He transforms how you see. He transforms your passions, your desires, your wants. Is there anybody else here tonight like the woman at the well who through an expression of praise will give testimony to their transformation? Come on. I'm thankful that Jesus transformed my life. I'm thankful that now in Him I am righteous. I am holy. I am a son. I have an inheritance. I live in light. I've got abundant life. I'm a friend of God. I'm found in Him. I'm pardoned from my sins and I'm whole and made new all over again. Anybody? Amen. Hallelujah you give a clap give me something come and see a man who told me everything I ever did but who transformed everything I am Nicodemus I can transform your life you can see the kingdom of God but you must be born again have you been born again let's make it personal have you been born again? Has your life been transformed by Jesus? Let's go back to the conversation. Verse 5. Nicodemus is confused about the whole being birthed again issue. In verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, physical birth, and the Spirit. Jesus says it's spiritual, Nicodemus. No, you can't get back inside your mama's belly. I'm not crazy. It's a spiritual birth, Nicodemus. I need you to understand that. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As the conversation continues, Jesus now moves from showing Nicodemus how a life can experience transformation into showing him how a person gains entrance into heaven the answer once again quite simply you must be born again you must be born again spiritually Nicodemus is obviously still surprised by Jesus's statement though because Jesus has to say to him don't marvel that I said you should be born again 
You ever had somebody say something to you that was just so off topic and unwarranted that it caught you off guard and you couldn't help but give like an expression of, what in the world did you just say to me? I imagine that's kind of where Nicodemus is at with Jesus. The whole born again stuff, and Nicodemus is like, Jesus says, don't marvel that I said you must be born again. Surely Nicodemus thought, surely Nicodemus thought this wasn't necessary for him. Why? Because he was a Jew of all people. He was already part of God's chosen people from the Old Testament times, from the Old Covenant. He's a Jew. I'm one of God's chosen people. Surely I don't need to be born again. I can see like that Samaritan woman we talked about at the well last week. I can see her having the need to be born again, but not me. I'm a Jew. I'm already one of God's chosen people. On top of that, he was a Pharisee. He's a religious leader. He's, he's a teacher. This is a man of prayer. This is a man of obedience. This is a man of good morality with good standing in the community around him. They knew that, that Nicodemus was a righteous man. He followed the law. He obeyed the rules. He didn't go out and get in the stuff that he didn't need to get into. By all accounts, Nicodemus had a spotless reputation among his community. On top of that, he served God with a passion and a fervor that was unmatched with anybody else during his time. He had a zeal for the kingdom of God. He memorized Scripture for crying out loud. One of the Pharisaical requirements was that they memorize the first five books of what we now know as the Old Testament. Anybody in here accomplish that? <laughs> Absolutely not. And I'm not even going to force you to answer the next question. Anybody in here even bothered to memorize a verse in the last week? This man had the first five books of the whole Old Testament committed to memory. He memorized Scripture. He never missed a Sabbath service. Surely he didn't need to be born again. But Jesus makes it known none of these things save a person. Nicodemus' impressive religious resume would not gain him entrance in the kingdom of heaven. Listen to me carefully. right, Very, very carefully right here. It doesn't matter how much of the Bible you know. It doesn't matter how often or how eloquently you pray. It doesn't matter how many serve teams you're on or how many mission trips you take over the years. It doesn't matter how much money you give or donate to the church or some nice charity. It doesn't matter how many years you lead a small group or disciple other people only by being born again. Washed underneath the blood of Jesus will you gain entrance into the kingdom of heaven. You, let, me, let me tell you, you don't need a resume, you need a relationship. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of people who one day will carry their resume to the gates. Let me read you what Jesus is going to say to them. One of the most terrifying passages in all of Scripture comes out of Matthew 7 and verse 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You better not get to the gates one day or stand before the throne and hand God Almighty your religious resume. You better go with the relationship. You better go having been born again, having been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. God is all about us doing good works. Don't get me wrong here. I'm not trying to cut out good works out of the picture, but those works come as a result of our salvation, never to produce our salvation. 
Don't take my word for it. If it causes an issue in your life, take God's words for it. In Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Everybody stops right there. We've got that part. Salvation by grace through faith. But look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God is not against good works. As a matter of fact, he applauds them. But they should always spill out of our lives as a result of our salvation, never to try and produce our salvation. Nicodemus, you can gain entrance into heaven. But you must be born again. Let me ask you guys something. Do you know that you'll be granted entrance into heaven when your time comes? When you take your last breath in this life, you pass over into eternity. You stand before God Almighty. Are you going to hand him a resume? Or are you going to confess a relationship? God, I don't have anything to give you. All I can do is plead the blood of Jesus. There's a big difference between the two. Some will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name perform many miracles? And he will say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. But then there will be those that stand before God Almighty one day and say, I don't have anything to my name. I don't have any reason to deserve entrance into your kingdom other than the fact that I've been born again. I've been washed clean by the blood of your servant, Jesus. And I have done my best throughout the course of my life to serve him as a faithful steward in your kingdom. And you know what his response will be then? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in to my peace. Do you know when your time comes that you'll be granted entrance? Let's go back to the conversation. We pick back up in verse 14. Jesus continues talking and he says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. People love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hate the light, does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. As the talk between Jesus and Nicodemus moves to a close, Jesus summarizes by showing only he brings deliverance. Only he brings deliverance from death and from darkness. Jesus references an Old Testament account with Moses. And if you're not familiar with the story, when Moses was leading the people of God out of Egyptian bondage and towards the promised land, 
because of their sin and their rebellion and their complaining against God, God sent judgment upon the people in the form of fiery serpents. We got any snake haters in here tonight? Like, if a snake was to go across the room, how many of y'all would forget everything in here tonight and hit the door, be gone, never come back again? I know we got some snake haters in here tonight. Imagine this kind of judgment. Because of your sin, your rebellion, you're complaining against God, you're in the camp one day and everything's going fine, all of a sudden, fiery serpents start running through the camp, biting the fool out of everybody around you. And it ain't just like a little easy bite either. People are getting bit, and they're falling over dead within a couple of minutes. The remedy for that was, God said to Moses, if you'll take this bronze serpent, and you'll put it on a pole and hold it up where the people can see it. Put it somewhere high where it can be seen. If you get bit by one of these fiery serpents, you look to that bronze serpent, you'll be delivered. You won't die. All of that was a foreshadowing. All of that was a foreshadowing to one day when Jesus would be lifted up. You know what lifted up can also be translated as in Scripture? Crucified. All of that was a foreshadowing to one day when Jesus would be lifted up on the cross. Listen, this is the good stuff. So that whoever would believe, let me rephrase it, whoever would look to him would be delivered would be saved. On January 6, 1850, a snowstorm all but crippled the city of Colchester, England. It was so fierce it prevented a teenage boy from getting to the church where he normally worshipped, and so he made his way to a nearby primitive Methodist chapel where an ill-prepared layman, or somebody other than the pastor, was substituting for the absent preacher. His text was Isaiah 45, verse 22, which says, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For many months, this young man had been miserable under deep conviction. That though he had been raised in church, he did not have any assurance of salvation in Jesus. The unprepared substitute minister did not have much to say, so he kept repeating the text. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. A man need not go to college to learn to look, he shouted. Anyone can look. A child can look. About that time, he saw the boy sitting to the side in the sanctuary. He pointed at him and said, young man, you look very miserable. Young man looked to Jesus. That young man did look by faith to Jesus and was saved that very day. His name was Charles Spurgeon. He was one of the most famous, well-known preachers to ever walk the face of this earth. Jesus died so that we could be delivered. You just need to look. That's all you got to do. Look to him. John 3, 16. One of the most famous passages of Scripture in all the Bible. Scores of people know this verse. Scores of people who don't even know Jesus, don't have a relationship with Him, can tell you John 3.16. And for so much of my life, I kind of just casually read that verse. I don't know if it's because I was born and raised in church and kind of just conditioned to it. 
I don't know if it's because I went through kids' programs like Awana and VBS, and they beat this verse into my brain until I could recite it literally while I was dreaming in the middle of the night, not even anywhere near an actual consciousness, that it kind of lost its effect, that it kind of lost its impact. We would get badges on our little on our little Awana vest for reciting verses. I remember when I got my badge for reciting Awana, uh, in Awana, John 3.16. I routed it off so fast, I don't even know if I really knew anything about the verse. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Who else shall ever believe in Him shall not perish to have everlasting life. There it is. It's not until later on in my life, rereading this verse and seeing the impact and the implications of what it means, I began to take on new meaning. It's not just quite simply that God so loved the world. Let me put it to you like this. I want to put an emphasis on something. It's that God so, God so loved the world. It gives us this picture of it. It's not a minuscule love. God so, so loved the world. Everybody in this room tonight, that He gave His only Son, that nobody in here would have to perish, but that everybody in this room tonight, everybody that has ever lived, breathed, stepped across the face of this earth, won't have to perish, but can experience eternal life. It's not just that God so loved the world, it's that God so loved the world. He lavishes, it's like an insurmountable amount, it's like an immeasurable amount. You can't put a unit of measurement upon it. We can't even fathom it with our finite minds, how much God so loved this world. Each and every one of you here tonight. Nicodemus. I thought it was kind of funny, a funny point. Nicodemus, you can be delivered. Y'all didn't see it. They, don't, they didn't see it, Matt. You can be delivered. But you must be born again. Nicodemus made his choice. John chapter 19, I'll show you this before we finish up tonight. We're at the end. We're done. Nicodemus made his choice to be born again. In John chapter 19, in verse 38, Jesus has been crucified and he's dead. And they're getting ready to lay his body in the tomb. Look at what verse 38 says says in John chapter 19, After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Look at verse 39. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. Nicodemus made his choice to be born again. You know how I know that? Because you don't show up to bury what you're not bonded to. He had a relationship with Jesus. That's why he was at his funeral. Watch this with me as we finish up. Only through Jesus can a life experience transformation. 
Only through Jesus can we gain entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Only Jesus Christ brings deliverance from death and darkness. That's what we call a TED talk with Jesus. Hey, this is Trey Mitchell, college and young adult pastor. I just wanted to say thank you for listening. It's our prayer that God uses these messages in a way that challenge and encourage you to live for His glory. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior, we would love to help you with making that decision. Just reach out to us through our webpage at underwoodbaptist.org. Be sure to check back in with us next week as we again encounter God through His Word here at Life.